Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole nussbaumer Nafling. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, this is Cole. Thanks for tuning in. So I'm finding that as a parent, one of the things that makes me proud is when we teach the kids something in a given situation, and then we see them later applying that lesson, that thing in a totally different scenario. This actually happened recently. The kids, I think probably on a monthly basis, have share day at school. This was called show and tell when I was little, which is they're meant to bring something that's precious to them or important to them from home and talk about it with their class. And now my husband, Randy, and I, we are big proponents of public speaking and the need or the benefit that you get from being able to and comfortable to speak succinctly in front of an audience. So the earlier you learn those skills, the easier it is. And we try to use these regular share days to foster that where the guidance is, you know, don't just share the thing in front of your class. Think about the people in the class and you might build a sense of intrigue, right? You could ask some leading questions and uh, build up to the reveal of the item that you want to share. We actually have a ton of fun practicing this delivery, uh, usually around the dinner table when the kids have a share day coming up. So I was delighted, actually, to see uh, our oldest, Avery, he's just about eight, employ this the other day, not at share day, but with me. And I didn't recognize it at the time. I was only reflecting back. Uh, so just to set a little bit of context, we got chickens earlier this year, and they are egg-laying chickens. So over time, they've each started laying eggs. Uh, they lay about an egg a day, and we have nine chickens, except for two of them who were quite slow to start. And Randy gives me a hard time because these were the two that I picked, right? They're, the, they're smaller than the others. They're fancier than the others. They're certainly the lowest of the pecking order. And they're gray and white, speckled. And they are supposed to lay blue eggs, which we've all been very excited about. But for a while, all of the other chickens had been laying, but we had yet to receive any blue eggs. All right, fast forward to this past weekend, and Avery comes up to me, I was in the house doing something, and starts asking me questions. Right? Do you know where I just was, mom? Uh, no, Avery, I'm not sure. What were you doing? Well, I was outside. Do you know what I was doing outside? I don't know. Were you riding your bike? No. And he goes through this series of questions with me, giving some hints along the way. And it turns out this was all built up to eventually reveal the very first blue egg. And it was beautiful. <laughs> uh, but it was also such an interesting example of him doing what I described, right? Taking in a lesson that we teach in one spot and using it in a very different place. And not only did he use it in a different place, he customized it for me, right? He thought about me as his audience, as he was crafting his questions and giving me hints along the way. And it turns out that that's a really important thing for us to do in general when we're communicating, right? When we're communicating data, when we're communicating anything, pretty much. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for them, for our audience. So today we're going to dive deep on audience, going to talk about why it's important to be clear on who they are, how we can narrow our audience for the purpose of communicating. Uh, we'll talk about strategies we can use to get to know an unfamiliar audience. And we'll also take a look at the very challenging and extremely common situation when you need to communicate something to a mixed audience. 
So with that, let's jump right in. And it, it probably makes sense for me to start by defining what exactly I mean when I say audience. So I think for some people, this conjures up images of you know, someone on a stage speaking to an auditorium full of people which is one way to think about audience, but I think that's too specific. And when I'm talking about audience for our purposes here, I'm thinking much broader than that, where I would define audience as anyone that we're communicating to. This could be in a meeting, could be something that we're going to be presenting on a video conference, could be something that we're creating and sending around to others, right? Those are the audiences and they take different forms. They're made up by different people, right? And I'll actually often ask this in workshops when we're talking about that component of who, right? Who are we communicating to? I'll have people throw out, uh, suggest the different audiences that they're communicating to on a regular basis. And I spend a bit of time and let there be lots of pauses because as we let folks sit a little bit more with this idea, they come up with more specific audiences. Where if I say, you know, what sort of audiences do you communicate to? Think for yourself. What sort of audiences do you find yourself needing to communicate to on a regular basis? Might be senior leadership, uh, maybe specifically the CEO or someone on the senior leadership team, the board, peers, clients. Uh, maybe you communicate to the public. And then as we start to think about specific, sometimes the sort of audiences people will throw out, depending on what industry we're in and such, you know, it could be auditors, scientists, engineers, store managers, regional managers, finance, HR, internal clients, external clients, regulators, right? The list of the types of people, the types of audiences that we communicate to is a long list typically. And as you can think about these different groups, they're made up of different types of people, right? Who have different sorts of needs. Now in the ideal scenario, we can get our audience down to a single person to whom we're communicating to, right? Because when we can do that, we can get really specific in meeting that person's needs because we can think about what they care about. We can frame the way we're communicating to them in a way that's going to work for that individual person. And sometimes there is an obvious single person audience for what we're doing. For example, in the case where somebody asked you to do an analysis, right, then your audience primarily is likely the person who asked for that piece of data or that graph or dashboard. Or in other cases, there might be a really clear decision maker, right? So we can get it down to a single person. We can ask ourselves, what do they care about? What motivates them? What scares them, right? What keeps them up at night? What makes them want to act? On the flip side of that, what makes them hesitant to act? How do they want to be communicated to? And actually, let's ground this in a specific example. I'm going to frame up an example here that we'll reflect on at a couple of points during the session today so that we can really make some of the concepts that we talk through more real and, and see how we would apply them in a real world situation. So let's imagine that you work as an analyst on a team and your organization has just done a big employee survey, right? You've asked about all sorts of different aspects of the work environment and you and your team have just done a thorough analysis of this survey. And you had some hypotheses going in that you asked questions around and tested. And as you've dug into the data, really understood the sentiment of employees across different parts of the organization, you've confirmed some things, but there are also some surprises. And so we'll use this as our, our general framework for the example, because I think it's a scenario that people can pretty easily relate to. Uh, there are also a lot of nuanced things that can come out of an employee survey. So it'll give us a lot of meat to work with as we talk through some different ways to think about audiences and scenarios and how you might apply some of these concepts. 
All right, so I just mentioned we learned some surprises through the survey. So let's say that one surprise that came up is related to items and themes around clear communications from leadership and people understanding the company and their team's goals. And that generally the sentiment here is positive and consistent, except for in one part of the organization. And so you've dug deeper, you've read through comments, tied different bits of data together. And what you're finding in this part of the organization is that the individual teams feel clear about their goals, that really the dissatisfaction is centered around communications from the vice president of this particular part of the organization. And this particular leader is a superstar who rose up through uh, doing fantastic work in the organization. He's very action-oriented and hugely respected by his team. So we can take all of this into account when we think about our framing, right? We need to communicate to this VP that something's not working uh, as it should be or as well as it could be. So as we frame this, we can think about him, and how we might best frame this in a way that's going to be motivating. So for example, we could frame it as a blind spot, right? Here's an issue that needs to be addressed. We could frame it as an opportunity to tackle, right? If we know that he cares about his team and the organization and the success there, we might frame things as addressing this will make those things better. Perhaps he's really motivated by competition and we could get attention on this by comparing scores for his part of the organization to other parts of the organization as a way to highlight the challenge or the opportunity. So this framing is important. And what it's dependent on is who we're communicating to, right? None of the types of framing that I've described here is inherently right or wrong, but they are personal. So in that regard, there is a right and wrong when it comes to the specifics of who you're communicating to. And actually, a related anecdote, this is from my husband's work several years ago. He was working for an organization leading HR, and they wanted to make some changes to paternity leave at the organization. And he knew going in that this particular leader was probably going to be hesitant on this, you know, maybe be cost sensitive, but also knew that this leader was very motivated, let's say, by being on par with other organizations in the industry, meaning offering benefits and a work environment that is at least as good, if not better, than some of these specific peer organizations. And so in that case, the way to get the attention and get the support and action or the way that they tried out that ended up working successfully was to not to say, we think we should uh, increase paternity leave, but rather to say, here's what paternity leave looks like at other organizations in the area or in the industry. And here's where ours is. And ours is lower, obviously. What do you want to do? Are you good with where things are at or do you want to make some changes? And so in that way, they were able to get the attention of the leader and get him to be the one to suggest the changes, all because of this framing and by being thoughtful about what would work, what would be motivating specifically for him. All right. So when we can get it down to a specific person that we're communicating to, we can get really specific and nuanced in how we do so. Let's, though, think about the more common scenario, which is when we can't maybe <laughs> narrow it down to a specific person. We're facing a mixed audience. And now mixed audiences by definition are challenging, right? Because they're mixed, it means that the people who comprised the audience are going to have different needs. They're going to have different things that they care about. And it's pretty much impossible to meet multiple different needs simultaneously. 
Now, it doesn't mean we can't communicate to mixed audiences, right? That's a reality. But it means we can be smart about how we do so. So let's think about a couple of different scenarios here. Uh, first, we'll look at how we can prioritize and target within a mixed audience. And then we'll look at a case where we actually can't do that. We need to communicate to everybody uh, with equal footing and talk about some ideas there. So oftentimes when we create communications, I think we do it with more people in mind than we need to. And in trying to satisfy more needs maybe than we need to. And the challenge with that is when we're trying to meet multiple needs simultaneously, we're not going to be able to meet any one of them as well as we could if we just targeted and got more narrow with our priority audience within that mixed audience. So let's take a look at how we might prioritize and target a communication within a mixed audience. All right, so let's look at an example, drawing back on this scenario of the employee survey. So let's start out broad and just imagine what different audiences might care about the data that comes out of this survey and what we learned from it. There's the leadership team, right? Probably in particular the CEO, managers across the organization, employees across the organization. Basically, everybody is going to care about some aspects of what we learn through the survey. The challenge is they care likely about different aspects or about aspects uh, in different ways or at different levels. So anytime you find yourself facing such a broad audience, right, and it could be employees like we're talking about here, or customers, right, or all clients, or, uh, you know, conference attendees, any big general audience, we want to think about how we can get more specific just when it comes to targeting our communication and prioritizing within that audience, so we can do that a few different ways. We can do it by being specific on what we found, by being clear on what we're recommending or what comes next, by being cognizant of the point in time, right? What needs to happen now versus downstream. And then in some cases, in many cases, I should say, it makes sense to think about who the decision maker or set of decision makers is. So let's get more specific in the context of this example to see one way that we might do that. So we've got this employee survey. Let's say that the career development theme was low. Right? So we can imagine different parts of the organization already who might care about that. Right? As soon as I say career development, probably the L&D team, right, learning and development, their ears perk up, but we're maybe not specific enough yet to really start targeting or prioritizing our audience. So let's get more specific on what we found. So the career development theme was low. And as we dig in deeper, we actually find that items related to training are low. And specifically within that, it's around availability and types of training that we're seeing lower sentiment. And so for sure, the L&D team's ears are perking up, right? What does that mean? Does that mean we need more training or different training? Then we can start quickly thinking about things like, do we have enough people for this? Do we have the right people for this? If not, does that mean we need to hire? Then recruiting would have to get involved. Or are we going to outsource? Now finance might get involved because the money, the costs that'll go along with that. But we're not ready to go down any of those paths yet. So we're getting more specific on what we've found. Let's even get more specific than that. Uh, let's say we decide to look at these scores segmented by people who've actually taken some training and those who have not. And we find some interesting differences there where it's those who've not taken any training that are actually uh, scoring it lower. Well, so that could be for a couple of reasons too, right? It could be because the training that they want just doesn't exist, so they haven't taken any. could also be that they're just not aware of and so haven't taken advantage of offerings that are already available. And you can imagine how the next steps then look different. And that's the next thing to be thinking about is what does this mean we're recommending or what comes next?
And so if it's about training availability or visibility, we might want to think about the different paths that could lead us down. Right? If it's about uh, people being aware of trainings that are being offered, it could be a simple communications program that we need to run to help make people aware or use folks who've gone through training to promote it to their colleagues. On the other hand, if people just aren't finding it, they're not able to attend, and it's more of a systems issue, that would take us down a completely different path with a completely different set of people and audiences along the way. And so by being specific on what comes next, we can actually carve out part of that audience and ignore the other entirely, right? Because we don't need to communicate to them yet. So let's say in this case, we're going to recommend in the near term, we do a simple communication campaign. And then we'll reassess how things are looking in our mid-year pulse survey to see if it looks like that's addressing the issue, or if we might need to dig in more and take some bigger steps. All right, so we've figured out what we're recommending. And when we think about who that means, so eventually probably we'll need to pull in people from the communication department. Uh, we'll need the L&D team's expertise in probably framing and content. Eventually we'll, we'll need to think about employees, right? Because it's, that's who we'll, we'll ultimately be communicating to. But when we think about what point in time we're at now, we don't need to think about communicating to employees yet. First, we need to think about nearer term, right? Employees are downstream. Nearer term, we need someone to say, yes, this is the thing to do, and here are the resources to do it. And that brings us to the decision maker. So let's say in this case, it's the head of L&D that'll be the person who'll be able to say, yes, let's do this and assign an owner to it so it gets done. And this means that we can target everything we do with that L&D leader in mind, right? So we went from the general example of an employee survey where we need to communicate everything to everyone, right? All the employees, all the leadership and such down to a single person that we need to communicate to about this one thing. We did that by getting specific on what we found, uh, what we're recommending or what the near-term next steps are, what point we're at in time, and by identifying the decision maker. So I always encourage you, if you find yourself facing a broad or mixed audience, first thing to ask yourself is, can I prioritize within that? Oftentimes, there will be ways to do so where you may still be, you know, in this scenario, for example, I may still be communicating about this general idea to the full executive team, for example, but I can take the L&D leader aside and really target this piece to them so that we get the attention and the action that we need. I should mention at this juncture that there are a number of exercises in Let's Practice in the book that help you think through narrowing and prioritizing audiences. There are some canned scenarios similar to what we just walked through where you think about a given scenario and how you might tailor things within that. And there are also some that are more open-ended for you to think about with a specific work project in mind and questions to ask yourself and work through in an effort to prioritize and target for purposes of communication. We also have some related exercise in the storytelling with data community. I'll make sure to link to all of these resources in the show notes so that you have those for reference. All right, so we've talked about the scenario where we can get it down to a single person. We've talked about another scenario where you can prioritize a target audience within a larger audience. Let's keep getting a little more nuanced here and talk about another common scenario, which is where you can't do either of those things. You're facing a mixed audience and it has to be mixed and you have to make that work. This could be a leadership team, right? We've referred to them a couple times already. It might be a steering committee or thinking more broadly, it could be customers or employees or conference attendees. 
this is a tough scenario and it's tough for the reasons that I mentioned before, which is just that different people are going to care about different things, are going to have different needs, and that makes it hard to meet them all equally and simultaneously. But that said, there are some things that you can do to try to set yourself up for success when it is a mixed audience that you're communicating to. One way is to start by calling out the fact that it's a mixed audience, right? That you recognize that people are coming at it from different viewpoints and having different needs and sort of just describing the elephant in the room, if you will. But then also having a thoughtful plan on how to address those needs, right? So if I'm going to the leadership team, I might generally stay big picture. But when I think about the differences, I know there are some people who are going to want more detail, right? So I can call that out. We're going to say big picture today, but Fred, I know you really like a higher level of detail. Detail. And so we'll meet with you separately to go through that, right? Or as you're thinking strategically about meeting that need, maybe you meet with Fred in this example ahead of time to satisfy that need for detail so that you can stay big picture when you have everyone together and have that still be useful and workable scenario. You can also think about rather than differences, what if you find ways to focus on things that are consistent and the same across your mixed audience, right? Is there a common goal or a common pain point that you can use to anchor what you're going to be talking about? And you can think about how either goals or pain points, how they overlap across different members of your audience. There's actually an exercise that we do commonly in our workshops uh, around this idea of the big idea and the single sentence message that is your main thing that you want to communicate. And we'll use the big idea worksheet to help people think through that and craft that for their specific project. And part of what the work sheet does is just has you get really granular on your audience in terms of what they care about, specifically from what's the, the standpoint of what's at stake. Right? What are the risks if they don't do the thing that you need them to do? What are the benefits if they do take that action? And where you can find areas of overlap in that uh, what's at stake, whether it's on the risk side or the benefit side, sometimes that is common ground that you can identify and use as this starting point to bring everybody together, recognize a need that is consistent, and use that as a place to communicate from when it comes to getting people's attention and uh, motivating them to act. Another way to do that or another way to think about how you might bring overlapping needs or goals into a mixed audience is by showing everyone something that is relevant to them that can be compared across. So for example, if we think of our employee survey scenario that we've been talking about, you could think about maybe if I'm communicating to the leadership team, I show a table or a graph that shows some metric or some interesting piece of the survey and what we found segmented by the areas that each of the leadership team oversees. Right. So maybe there's some aggregate percent favorable score that we have or we have themes that we want to show those by. We could show that first and foremost across the different areas of the organization that the leaders support as a way to get everybody on the same page in terms of how their organization performs compared to everybody else's. And maybe there are some consistent low points or high points to be able to use as a starting point for that conversation. Another strategy that sometimes can work in a mixed audience is just to be really thoughtful about when you need more or less attention from the different segments of that audience, right? So if continuing with the scenario of you're communicating to the leadership team, maybe you're going to get to the part that the L&D leader is going to be interested in, but you just covered something that's maybe less relevant. Call that out, right? Um, Melody, you lead L&D, you're going to care about what I'm going to talk through next, right? You can use uh, vocal cues to get people's attention back if you think you've lost it. Or in the case where you are creating something that's going to be sent around, you want to structure it such that 
people can easily find and turn to the sections that are going to be relevant to them. I think anytime you're facing a mixed audience, probably the biggest question to ask yourself is, what does success look like? What do I need out of this? And given that, what do I need to communicate in this mixed setting? And what might I segment out so that I can communicate in a more targeted way? Let's take a look at an example. And for this, I'll, I'll come back to the employee survey that I keep mentioning. And let's imagine this is the scenario where you're giving an overview to the leadership team. And you know, you go in knowing that this can't be everything to everyone in a single sitting, right? That's just not going to be realistic. So this is one of those cases where we can employ a lot of the strategies that we just talked about, right? We can consider where there are similar goals or pain points. And when we think about our goal for that meeting, maybe we need people to know generally what the company level scores look like, uh, right? Themes, where things are positive, where there are pain points that need addressed. And we can think of if we know this is a competitive group, maybe we do use that leadership scoreboard that I mentioned before, where each person can see their scores or their organization scores and also compare those to others. Uh, though I should caveat that because in certain groups, this doesn't work at all. And actually, anecdote from when I worked at Google there was a particular part of the organization that I supported at one point, and the leaders in that part of the organization, I shall call it out, it was sales. The leaders in the sales organization were hugely competitive, such that we knew if we put the leaderboard sort of table or visual that I've been talking about in front of them, that it would completely derail everything because people would be so intent on where they performed better or worse than their uh, peers who were also sitting around the table. And so in that case, we realized we can't do that uh, communication in a group like that. We can talk about how sales looks overall, but when it gets to the individual breakdown by leader, we need to do that in a one-on-one -on -one setting. And also, even there, rather than get into this rat hole conversation about how they compare on these individual elements, we had to take names off <laughs> so that a given leader could see theirs and they could see uh, maybe the range, right? the maximum and minimum across other parts of the organization. So they still had some context to use from a comparative basis, but weren't able to make the specific comparisons to how their organization performed or scored compared to their peers. So this is just another illustration to really get you thinking critically about your audience, right? And how, when we design how we communicate with them in mind, we are able to better or not as well, right? If we make some missteps, communicate and get the attention where we need it and ultimately get the action that we need. Right, so sorry, back to this employee survey, right? So we're communicating to the leadership team. Let's imagine that we have found an overlap when it comes to their interests or concerns. And that is around attrition, right? People are sensitive to attrition. They want to drive attrition down. But their motivations for doing so are actually quite different when we look at the individuals. So for example, the engineering director, she is sensitive to retention because they put so much effort and time into their hiring process that to hire someone is actually quite expensive when it comes to just you know how many people are interviewing them and how much time they're taking all of that so that they're very thoughtful in wanting to retain people for as long as they can given that extreme uh, amount of effort that's put into the hiring process. Whereas on the marketing side, maybe the concern is more around the fact that They've noticed that the groups are very tight, uh, the teams within the marketing organization. And what happens is when somebody leaves a team, and particularly if it's a manager, pretty much everybody else follows. And what they've had historically is just holes in the marketing organization because of this exodus of teams when somebody leaves. So these are two different senior leaders who care about something for a very different reason, right? Which means the way they might go about 
tackling concerns or issues there might be very different, but we have found this unifying thing that they care about. So when it comes to how we communicate in the mixed setting, we can focus on that thing, right? And, and back to this idea of considering what you communicate when everyone is together and what you do individually, we could communicate about the attrition piece together, right? Get everybody on the same page when it comes to a need for action there. But then your actual action planning would happen separately with these different parts of the organization, with these different leaders, because of their different concerns when it comes to the broad theme. So just to recap on the mixed group piece, just be aware that in many cases when we're facing a mixed audience, or at least in the sort of scenario that I described here, we'll talk about the conference customer, more broad uh, scale stuff uh, a little bit soon. You can't do it all in a single setting or a single sitting. Uh, and it means having realistic and clear goals on what you can accomplish as a mixed group and really using that time and attention wisely and then figuring out what it makes sense to address separately. And in combining these things, it really sets you up for success for ultimately getting the thing done that you need. All right, so we've talked about a lot of stuff already. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we're going to talk about the scenario when you maybe don't know your audience and specifically strategies we can use to get to better know and understand an unfamiliar audience. Wondering how to help your team learn and develop in today's environment? Are you looking for innovative ways to drive engagement and take data storytelling to the next level? The Storytelling with Data team is bringing a wide range of sessions to organizations around the world, virtually, including our 60-minute webinars that deliver practical tips to our half-day foundational or targeted workshops that bring to life the data storytelling lessons using your company's data viz examples. Let us help bring your team together, virtually, to connect and learn to be better data storytellers. Visit StorytellingWithData.com and click Attend. That's StorytellingWithData.com and click Attend. Welcome back. Before the break, we started diving into audience, talked about the scenario where we can identify a single audience member or prioritize to one or a small group of people. We also talked about some strategies for communicating to mixed audiences. And remember, the reason that we're doing all of this is so that we can be thoughtful about how we communicate to our audience, right? Taking their needs into account. But this brings up the question, what do we do if we don't know our audience, right? Then how can we tailor things to meet their needs? So let's talk about some strategies here. So I'd say if you don't know your audience, the number one thing I would recommend when it's feasible is talk to them right? Ask questions, get to understand these things that we've been talking about, what motivates them, what they care about, what scares them. Now, it's not always possible to talk to our audience. So in cases where it isn't, we could think about talking to someone who knows them, someone who works with them or has communicated to them successfully or unsuccessfully in the past. Right? You can get insights from other people's work with the given audience. You'd also think about talking to people who are similar to your audience. When you can't do any of these things, or if it just doesn't make sense from a time standpoint or um, given the scenario, sometimes you're left to make assumptions about what is going to matter to your audience, how they're going to want to be communicated to. When it comes to this, I definitely recommend pressure testing those assumptions. And colleagues can be useful to test that out with. Of Be clear on the different things you're assuming about your audience, right? I'm assuming they are going to want a lot of detail and that they're going to care more about this thing and less about this other thing. And ask your colleague to play devil's advocate as you talk through that. It'll help you test some of these assumptions. May also highlight other assumptions you're making that you... Um, 
uh, perhaps aren't clear on. And when you're doing this, really be thoughtful about how is your audience different from you? Because our default often when we communicate is to assume that everybody has the same sort of priorities as we do. And so being really clear on where could they be different, where are they likely to be different in terms of their needs and such, um, it'll help you identify some of these things. Now, those are a couple ideas for me. I also put this uh, question out on Twitter to say, what strategies do you employ when you're facing an audience Then you need to communicate to them and you have not done so in the past? I've got a ton of good ideas. Many echo what we've already talked about here. And in particular, a number of people said, you know, talk to them or uh, talk to people who know them. But I'll outline some other ideas that came up as well. Um, Michelle says, I try to look at the types of things they've shared previously on social media. If it's an organization, I like to review current job openings and descriptions to offer clues on priorities, tools, and culture. This is an awesome suggestion. You can think of how this could work. You know, say you're facing a new client group at an organization who you've not worked with before. Looking at social media, looking at the news can be ways to get insight into the culture at that organization, which may even help you frame some of the questions that you ask this new client group at the onset to get to know them. Jeff raised the idea uh, that it's good to first present or teach someone uh, in a one-on-one basis with a similar skill level. And this can be fantastic, particularly if your audience is, you anticipate they'll be at a different skill level than you, right? Or than you typically communicate to, to see what sort of questions come up uh, can help you with your framing uh, in big ways. Someone who goes by Wabi Sabi on Twitter says, I make sure that every point, for every point I make, I have a non-technical and a technical version if I'm not sure how comfortable they are with numbers and statistics. And I also use a lot of analogies. And so this is a great idea. Obviously, this takes more time, right, and thought to be thinking about both the technical and the non-technical explanation or graph or level of detail. But when you think about it, when you do this, when you take the time to do it, it means you are well positioned to meet pretty much any need when it comes to the level of detail or explanation that you need to be able to give, whether that's going deep into the weeds or staying high level, big picture can be an excellent thing to take the time to do. And I, and I should mention that everything we talk about today, right, you, you won't necessarily do all of this or you won't do all of this every time you communicate anything. What I'm talking about here is when you've got something important or critical that you need to communicate and you need to have the right people paying attention to the right things, that's when it makes sense to be more thoughtful than we might typically when it comes to crafting how we communicate and doing it with those specific people's needs in mind. Uh, Building on this idea of knowing both the technical and the non-technical versions, Mark says, he prepares like I'm writing a choose-your-own-adventure book where the audience gets to dictate our content, technical, non-technical, offshoots, etc., while still hitting the main points in the theme. This is another fantastic idea and another one of those things that takes time to do. But you can imagine if you've plotted out this whole choose your adventure sort of scenario, it means you know your stuff really well. And you can make it work in the given scenario, even if it doesn't look exactly like you expect it to going in. Uh, Jen suggests... Uh, asking open-ended questions. And so this would be like in the actual meeting, in the setting, without there being right or wrong answers, uh, to ask different audiences members near the beginning of the presentation. This helps getting to know them better and sets them as participants versus spectators. So all good ideas, right? When we can really get insight during the session and use that to customize. And if you think of pairing that with some of these other ideas, asking these open-ended questions at first to get a sense of needs and then having materials that will allow you to really meet that at the appropriate level. Uh, Let's see, just one more of these that I'll highlight. Lib said, prepare, full stop. 
That in itself gives me the confidence to deliver and be in the moment when executing. That and knowing that perfection is elusive. There will always be room for improvement and I know I'll always do the best I can and get better with each attempt. And all I can say is a big plus one on all of that, right? The more prepared we are, the better we're going to be able to adjust things as we need to and really focus within our content and our message on the things that we know are going to resonate with our audience. And actually, I'll highlight one more of these suggestions. This was by Andy. He took the framing of this being maybe a conference or a workshop style presentation where he says, question the organizers ahead on the profile of attendees, their skill level and objectives, uh, what platform and how they'll interact, how many attendees, and whether it's part of a series. If so, what are the others? Can I see an agenda? Steve added uh, what Andy says plus what is important to them. Right, so that gets us thinking about this idea of you know a conference or something where we have a large mixed audience. And one thing that can be useful at times there is to think about different personas within that audience. Where, so for example, if I'm speaking at a conference, I'm delivering a keynote. I may not know the individual needs, but I can make a lot of assumptions, and I can actually group people into different segments, and then think about what each of those segments might care about or what I want them to get out of the session. All right, so for a keynote, let's say I'm talking about storytelling with data, I might think about my audience in terms of, well, there are leaders there and I want to make them aware of this important thing and that it's a skill that needs to be developed uh, that people aren't just uh, naturally born with for the most part. So maybe my message to them or the thing I need them to understand is that it's a worthy investment to help people get good at this. Another persona that might be in my audience is the manager persona, right? Someone who's looking for tips to bring back to their team or might be assessing trainings that they could bring into their organization or their team. And then another persona might be the individual contributor who's looking for strategies and tactics to be able to employ in their day-to-day -day or use to influence others around them. So I can segment a very large audience into a couple types of people, and that's certainly not the only way to segment it, but one way that we can think about and be thoughtful about their needs and also what message or what thing I want to import on them to help meet those needs. And anytime you find yourself facing an unknown audience, it can be helpful to think about both where are things likely to go right and where could they go wrong. And so one useful exercise is to actually brainstorm these things. And you can, if you're open to it, you know, get a blank, blank piece of paper and actually sketch. And this is an exercise I've done in the past where I'll have people sketch an audience member. There's just, it can be a stick figure, right? Or you can get uh, more nuanced with it than that. But I think drawing and seeing the blank piece of paper and starting to fill it with something a little artistic, just accesses some different parts of our brains, get us, gets us out of the normal day-to-day, -day, gets us thinking a little more creatively. So draw an audience member. And also just by having it be a person, it reminds us that we're doing this all for somebody else, right? There's a person on the receiving end of everything that we're doing. So draw the audience member. And again, it can be a stick figure. You can get fancy. And now draw a line down the middle of the paper. And on one side of that line, and usually I'll start with the left, on the left side, write why that audience member is likely to support you, right? Where are things going to be easy? Where are they going to, um, you know, how are they going to be a fan of who you are or what you're doing? Why are they likely to be on board? And write as many thoughts there as you can. These don't need to be complete sentences, but just brainstorming. Uh, things that they're going to like, the things that you can do that are going to delight them, places where they will likely be in agreement. And then on the other side, the right-hand side, we think about the flip side of that, which is where are they likely to resist you? Where might they have biases, where they are already going to be skeptical coming in? What point 
points are you going to want to make that they may have contention with? And get as dark (laughs) and realistic, I guess, as you can there. Because the more thought you can give to how things could go wrong ahead of time, the better prepared you'll be. And it makes the scenario more likely that things will go well, right? But the better prepared you'll be to address these things. That's the next step now is think about, okay, now given all of these ways that I'm expecting support and all of the ways that I could meet resistance, how do I navigate through that? And how can I try to set myself up for success given these things? Going through that effort of brainstorming may cause you to think about some novel ways to address potential issues as well. All right, so we've talked a lot about audiences, getting to know our audience, um, but one thing that we haven't really addressed is why, right? Why, why do we do this in the first place? If we can identify our audience and we know their needs, we understand them, how does that help us when we communicate? And it turns out there are a ton of aspects of the communication that we can tailor when we know our audience and when we can get specific on who they are and what they need. In general, there are things like, how are we going to communicate to them? Is it in person? Are we going to have a video conference? Do we just give them a phone call or send them an email? We can also think about the length, right? Is this someone who's busy and I need to keep things short and succinct, or are they going to have a lot of patience and it's a topic that they want to dig into and we can spend more time. Related to that, I can also think about the framing. Do I start with the so what, or do I build up to it or lead up to it? I can think about how formal things need to be, right? Is this a casual conversation or do I need to have a polished presentation deck to present? And on that note, we can also customize the actual materials when we're thoughtful about who we're communicating to and how they want to be communicated to. We can think about things like, is it a sli- is it a presentation deck? Is it a report? Do I project slides onto the screen or computer? Or do I send a handout or have something printed? Uh, what level of detail should we get into? Do I want to keep it high level, big picture? Or is my audience going to want a different level of detail? We need to get into the nitty gritty. Do they like data? Do they need data in order to be convinced? Right? This can also help with that level of detail and help me make decisions around, do I use graphs? Where do I use them? How do I use them? Which types of graphs do I use? Do I need to stay basic and straightforward or can I get some stuff that's a little bit crazier and get more complicated in ways that will actually better meet my audience's needs? I can also just think about the general environment, right? If we're meeting, where do we meet? Do I go to their office? Do we meet in a conference room? Might they appreciate a walking meeting? Uh, Or today, right? Many meetings are over video conference. I can think about what platform do they like? Are they comfortable with? Even tailor the technology to them. When to meet is a consideration, right? Do I know there's this meeting that always puts this particular person in a bad mood. And so maybe I don't want to follow that directly, or I know they have a lot of energy in the morning, so that might make sense. Do I involve others, right? Is this something that is best in a one-on-one scenario or are there other influencers who I might bring into the conversation to better set things up for success? Right. So when we step back and think about it, we can tailor a ton of different things to our audience when we're clear on who they are and their needs. Now, we won't always be able to optimize for all of this, but the more that we can do, right, the more thoughtful we are about communicating, not first and foremost for ourselves, but rather for them, right? For our audience, for the people on the other side of things. It means we can be really thoughtful in how we set ourselves up for success and how we meet their needs. And when we meet their needs, then we're in a better position to get our own needs met as well. 
All right. I think that is the majority of what I want to say at this moment on audience. I want to shift next to some listener questions. There have been a number of questions actually that have come up in different places lately, a couple times in the community, in different conversations, uh, and uh, just in conversations that I've been having where people are either contemplating graduate school or evaluating programs for furthering their education. Uh, my own brother, I'll lump into that category. He's thinking about maybe going back to school. Uh, and folks who've reached out to ask you know, what do you think about when you do this? Uh, is this program good or is it not? And so I want to answer this question more generally. And I'll also in the show notes point people to some specific conversations where if they want to weigh in or read of what others have weighed in with, they can do so as well. That oftentimes when we're thinking about going back to school or we're thinking about certain types of programs, it's because we want to make a change, right? A career change or because we want to get into a certain type of career. So I'll often suggest stepping back and thinking about, you know, fast forward. What sort of job do you want? What does your ideal job out of the program look like? And actually get hands-on with this and explore jobs that exist today, right? Go to LinkedIn and start doing some searches and reading job requisitions to understand what sort of skills people are looking for, what sort of credentials, what sort of experience. Um, and this will also just help you get specific on the names of the types of, whether it's industry or roles that sound interesting. And then you can back up from there to think about, okay, given that, right, if here is the suite of sort of job roles that sound interesting, and now here's the list of the sorts of things that they are looking for and uh, in, for someone who's going to be qualified for that. Now, where are there gaps in what I have or what I can develop where I'm currently at or with what I currently have access to? And how can I fill those gaps? And that's where then you can use, it's just a different lens to evaluate different programs when you're thinking about furthering school. Because there are some who find just value in the learning, and that's great. But if there is something specific that you're trying to get out of it, which um, I'd argue you're going to be more successful and more uh, bought into any program by virtue of having done that, right? Know what you want to get out of it means that you are more likely to get that thing out of it and find programs that are going to be well aligned to meet your needs. So as I mentioned, I will point to a couple conversations in the community where folks have asked about specific programs and there are uh, others who've weighed in and of course invite anyone who has experience or other ideas related to this to weigh in with their thoughts as well. Another conversation in the community that I will link to, and actually this is from Elizabeth on the team here. She recently did a guest lecture at a university and had a question from a student that she was hoping to crowdsource the response to. And the question was, how does the success rate of driving change differ when using data storytelling versus simply presenting data? And this is a hard question, right? I can understand why she was trying to crowdsource some good ideas here. Because the efficacy of data storytelling isn't something that you can tie back necessarily to the data storytelling. Because what happens when things don't work typically is just nothing, right? And so when things come together and work in a way that's good, meaning you craft a story uh, that is compelling. You have visuals that are effective in supporting that narrative. You get the attention from the people who need to pay attention and the action that you need. There are so many different things you can pin that on, right? Was it the data storytelling? Was it the structure you employed? Was it the fantastic graphs you made? Was it your delivery of the content? Was it because the person was likely to say yes anyway? Right? There are all these different factors that go in. Uh, but I do think that's the thing to 
reflect on over time. And particularly if you've not been employing some of these things going back, right? If the default is to do an analysis or put together your quarterly report and just throw it into graphs and send it off. And you know, we know there's no clear link to what happens after that. So what happens now if you start employing some of these aspects of rather than just send the analysis, frame up a discussion and target where people look in individual graphs, put takeaways on the slides as their titles. And if you can start to see as you make these changes, more conversations happening, better conversations happening, actions, uh, attention, those sorts of things, that is all of this having positive impact over time. And I will say, you know, I mentioned it's hard to measure efficacy, but I try to stay connected to organizations, particularly after we go there and have a workshop or, you know, in the virtual world, do a workshop and get to know the organizer and get to know the participants of understanding where, where are things working? Where are they employing things and having success with that? And actually related to that, one thing that we've seen a little bit of a pattern of, or at least that we've observed in a couple of client organizations, is after a workshop where they maybe sort of over-index on decluttering, right? Getting rid of the things out of their visuals that don't need to be there, but then don't subsequently take steps to focus attention and tell a story, that that can actually backfire a little because the feeling tends to be that stuff has been taken away, but value hasn't been added in its place. So and this is a very specific example, right? But when you consider the craft of communicating with data and data storytelling in particular, we have a lot of different levers that we can, or uh, dials we can turn, I guess, in different ways. And I think exploring and being, you know, exploring with wide open eyes in terms of taking things in and wide open ears in terms of listening. So that when you try tweaking some things and making them different from what they've historically been, notice what impact that has, get feedback on what impact that has. Does it mean people are paying more attention and having more conversations and doing more things with the data or the alternative? And that will help you continue to dial these things in a way that's going to work in the context of your organization, in the context of you and how you present. And anecdotally, I will just say, yes, absolutely. There is value when you move away from simply showing data and really using it to tell a story, just in terms of the kinds of conversations that happen, the attention you get, and the personal and professional development that comes as a result of thinking about how we communicate data in a different way. All that said, I'll again link to the conversation in the community for others who might want to weigh in. Uh, one final question from Simon, uh, who asked about innovation. And I think his particular question, I didn't write it down in its entirety here, but was around where do you see innovation and where do you see it done well in terms of storytelling with data principles being applied and whether there's room for innovation in how we think about things. And there is absolutely room for innovation, smart innovation, I will say, however, because if we think of when we're communicating primarily and teaching primarily, it's in the setting of business communications, which means you don't usually want to just suddenly go crazy and innovative in your you know, quarterly review or whatever the case may be. It's not the right setting usually for that with some exceptions, but innovating behind the scenes, innovating uh, through things like the monthly challenges that we do. I think what we can do is we can go crazy in those less risky spaces and learn really interesting things from that that we can then use in our day-to-day -day or use aspects of in our day-to-day. -day. I'm just a specific example. So 
we and actually where you can see a lot of crazy stuff in when was it October our monthly challenge was around xenographics and uh, you know tackling or uh, addressing overcoming your xenographobia so your scare of unfamiliar charts and we had people do all sorts of crazy stuff and, and that was the goal that was the point and there was one visual I don't remember offhand who created it but it was animated and it basically it pulled all the data points together Oh, I know what it was. It was the Titanic. Uh, I think deaths in the Titanic um, from Simon, uh, not the Simon question answer, a different Simon, where you saw all of the data come together, like the physical data points move in some different ways. And the way it moved was beautiful but a little bit out there, right? I wouldn't necessarily take that same visual now and use it to communicate something in a business setting. But I can learn from it the impact of seeing data move from one type of visual into another. And that grounding can actually be really useful. For example, if you're in a business meeting and you are needing to communicate something in a different way, you can first show the way it used to be communicated and then actually animate the transition from that to a new view in order to create that linkage clearly for your audience. Um, and we actually have a video in the community where Elizabeth shows doing something similar to this uh, on the topic of overcoming resistance. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, but I absolutely think there is room for innovation uh, in this space. Um, and even when it comes in the business setting where maybe we don't think of that as an innovative space, but when we play with things, when we look at things through different lenses, it just, it gets us to know our data better. It gets us to know our tools better. It gets us to see things in a different different way. And there will always be learning from that process that then we can apply in all sorts of different spaces, even if it's not the exact same view that we maybe would use uh, in a non-business setting. All right. I think that is enough rambling from me. If you have questions, by the way, the best place to put those these days is in the storytelling with data community. There's a conversation section uh, because then you get the benefit not only of me weighing in, but with everybody else in the community sharing their ideas and suggestions and challenges and successes as well. And as we hear here, many of these then uh, make it into the podcast too. So with that, I'm going to say thank you very much for tuning in. Before we wrap, I have a couple of quick updates. First off, we have an upcoming virtual mini workshop that is on December 14th. Uh, we're in 2020 as I record this. That's open to our premium members. And in it, participants will get hands-on. They'll get to discuss giving good feedback and improving a real-world visualization with other attendees. If you're listening to this after the 14th of December, we do these virtual events monthly. So there's definitely another one coming up and they're also all recorded for future viewing. So you can access all of that goodness by going premium in the Storytelling with Data community. Info on that can be found at community.storytellingwithdata.com slash premium. Speaking of the community, the current Storytelling with Data Challenge, which is open to everyone, is live and runs through the 31st of December. It's also on the theme of critique and makeovers. So if you'd like to take a turn revamping an existing visual, be sure to check that out. Details at community.storytellingwithdata.com slash challenges. To those listening to this episode soon after its release, it is currently uh, almost mid-December of 2020. And I am feeling very thankful. It has been a crazy year, to say the least. And I, and I think I speak on behalf of the team when I say this as well, feel very fortunate to still be able to be doing what we love doing, right? To have you listening to this now. And so I wish you a fantastic holiday season and thank you for your support. Speaking of support, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with a friend. And with that, be sure to follow at Story with Data on Twitter and Instagram. Also check out all the great resources at storytellingwithdata.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>